Hello, my friends. Um, today, I am going to talk a little bit about Jeremiah, who was a prophet who went to Judah and Jerusalem to warn them to repent or they would face destruction. There's a lot of stuff here that I'm going to go over. So bear with me. My notes are a little messy, just as I'm a little messy. I'm just being honest here. I'm not going to have, excuse me, a fancy little podcast with music coming in and music going out and nice, pretty music in the background. Maybe eventually I'll have that, but that's not my purpose now. My purpose is just to share what is on my heart. And what's on my heart is to share the truth of God's word. And as I dived in to help a friend, to encourage a friend, I too have been encouraged. And I just think it would be very selfish of me if I would just keep this amazing word and truth from the Lord to myself. I feel that I've been called to proclaim this message to you. And so that's why I come here. I'm a little nasally. I'm a little congested. I don't have this pretty soft voice um, that's going to put you to sleep. Maybe it will. I tend to believe my voice is a little obnoxious, but um, you've come for the real me. And so I'm going to give you the real me. We're going to start in Jeremiah 15, 15. Now, let me just say, I'm going to be a little bit all over the place. So you have to bear with me. This verse I'm about to share It's probably going to be a summary of what we will talk about today. Jeremiah 15, 15 says, and I might go a little bit beyond that verse. Actually, I'm going to read the passage. You understand me, O Lord. Remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me and you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unending and my wound grievous and incurable? Will you be to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Let this people turn to you. But you must not turn to them. I will make you a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you to rescue and save you. I will save you from the hands of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the cruel. So this is in chapter 15. Now... What happens in Jeremiah Jeremiah, is that he goes to Judah. For 40 years, he served as God's spokesman to Judah. 
to urge them to act, to turn back to the Lord, but nobody listened to him. He went to them consistently and passionately. He underwent severe deprivation to deliver his prophecies. He was thrown into prison. He was thrown into a cistern. He was literally knee deep, maybe neck deep in mud. That's in chapter 38. He was taken to Egypt against his will. He was rejected by his neighbors, his family, the false priests, the false priests and prophets. He was rejected by his friends, his audience, the people that he was proclaiming these truths to, prophesying to. And he was rejected by kings. All his life, he stood, well, most of his life, he stood alone, declaring God's messages of doom and gloom, weeping over the fate of his country that he loved. People would not see Jeremiah as a success. But by God's measure of success, he was one of the most successful people in all of history because of his obedience and faithfulness to the Lord. We're going to look in the beginning of Jeremiah to see how the Lord used him or called him, set him apart for God's purpose in God's glory. And if you remember, we talked about Samson in chapter one, how very early on, even before Samson was born, God had a plan to set him apart to use him. And it's very similar with Jeremiah. Because from the beginning of time, God knows us and he has a plan for us. I'm turning to uh, Jeremiah chapter 1. The call of Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you, in the womb I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send to you, I send you, and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See? Today, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build up and to plant. So I'm looking down here at um, the notes of my Bible. Now, I haven't shared this in the first part of the series, but I did want to share that I use a new, um, I'm sorry, I use a, um, an application Bible. And these are really great because they give little commentaries um, for a lot of the verses and apply. So you can apply what you've read in scripture to your life. It's very practical, everyday, useful advice. And I personally really like application because the scriptures are great. But if I have a hard time comprehending a meaning of scripture, although I could ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten me, 
the commentary at the bottom is it's just very practical and easy to understand for me. So a lot of what I'm sharing here comes from my application Bible. I'm currently using an NIV version from about 12 years ago, and they have, um, I think they've come out with a newer version. And it's not a version I would highly recommend, to be honest. I think some of the more reliable translations would be the New King James Version. I think that's a really good one. I know a lot of people like the ESV, which is the English Standard Version. There's the NLT, which I personally really like when I'm having a hard time comprehending, which is the uh, New Living Translation. I find that to be easy to read on an elementary level even. So I tend to go to that one when I'm struggling to really comprehend the scriptures. But I'm not here to tell you which version to use. I know sometimes that's a question. What you what version are you using? Uh, but you have to use the one that you feel led to use. Make sure that it's something that hasn't been altered too much. Talk to your church leadership. Talk to people that you trust that are strong in their faith and see what they use. Uh, I like to use the New King James Version in my church during service because that's what my pastor uses. But I've also returned to my NIV because this is the first Bible that I started to use as a newer believer 12 years ago. And it's just my comfort. It's my baby. I've highlighted. There's notes. There's post-its. So it's what works for me. So I'm going to read the notes a little bit here. And so the call of Jeremiah in chapter 1. It's important to know that this was a chaotic time politically, morally, and spiritually. Babylon, Egypt, and Assyria battled for world supremacy. And Judah found itself caught in the middle of this triangle. Although Jeremiah prophesied for 40 years, he never saw his people heed his words and turn from their sins. Now again, it's important to note In um, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Again, we're reminded of Samson being set apart. From before being born, God had a plan. So even when we feel discouraged or inadequate, we have to remember that God has always thought of us as valuable. And he has a purpose for us. Jeremiah was appointed by God as a prophet to the nations. Some of us are appointed for very specific kinds of work. Right? We're a member of Samson. He was set apart to have mighty strength that he may deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. We remember David in the Psalms. I'm sorry, in 1 Samuel, David had a very specific task. John the Baptist in Luke was set apart to prepare the path for Jesus to come. Paul in Galatians also had a very specific task. If God gives us a specific task or responsibility, we should accept it cheerfully and do it with diligence. If we don't feel we've been called to a specific task, or assignment, then we should seek to fulfill the mission that is common to all believers, and that is to love, to obey, and to serve God until his guidance becomes clear in our lives, until we recognize the stir in our heart. 
to know what he would want for us. We go down to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 6, and he says, I don't know how to speak. I'm just a child. And God says, don't say that. You're not just an only child. You're not only a child. You must go to everyone and say whatever I tell you to say. Many of us lack the self-confidence to do what the Lord has called us to do. We feel inadequate. We feel we don't have the abilities or their talents or the skills or the training or the experience. But just like God promises to be to Jeremiah, he promises to be with us. And we should not let our own feelings of inadequacy prevent us from doing the work of the Lord. He will be with us to do what he has called us to do. If you feel that stir in your heart, you feel the Lord is calling you to do something, don't use your lack of self-confidence as an excuse to not do the work that God has called you to do. He will provide what you need. God also promised to rescue Jeremiah from his trouble. God did not keep Jeremiah from the suffering that he experienced. He didn't keep him from being imprisoned or deported. He didn't protect him from insults. He does not, God does not keep us from encountering life storms, but he will see us through them. Have you ever heard that, that little phrase, cliche phrase in the Christian communities? If God saw us to it, he will see us through it. People say that because it's real. It's true. God will walk through these storms with us and he will rescue us. Now I want to go back to um, Jeremiah chapter 15, 15. Again, he said, you understand, O Lord, remember me and care for me, avenge me on my persecutors. I feel like I read this passage already. And I'm not sure why I went back to the beginning of Jeremiah so soon. But here in chapter 15, Jeremiah is crying out to the Lord. He accused God of not helping him when he really needed it. Jeremiah had taken his eyes off of God's purposes and was feeling sorry for himself. He was angry and hurt and afraid. But in response, in chapter 19, the Lord did not get angry at Jeremiah. He answered by rearranging Jeremiah's priorities. And he was to influence the people. Jeremiah was to influence the people, not that let them influence him. Now here in chapter 15, what had happened was for 14 chapters or so, he was going to, the, to Judah and he was calling them to repent, turn away from your idol worship, turn away from your sin. Destruction is coming. It's going to happen. I'm warning you, turn away from your sin. The Lord has declared destruction on you if you don't turn back to him and they wouldn't listen to him and so in chapter 14 there was a drought and destruction 
Judah mourns. Chapter 14. Judah mourns. Her cities languish. They wail for the land and cry goes up from Jerusalem. The nobles send their servants for water. They go to cisterns, but they find no water. They return with their jars unfilled, dismayed and despairing. They cover their heads. The ground is cracked because there is no rain in the land. The farmers are dismayed and cover their heads. Even the doe in the field deserts her newborn fawn because there is no grass. Wild donkeys stand on the barren heights and pant like jackals. Their eyesight fails for lack of pasture. Although our sins testify against us, O Lord, do something for the sake of your name, for our backsliding is great. We have sinned against you. O hope of Israel, its Savior in times of distress, why are you like a stranger in the land, like a traveler who stays on only a night? Why are you like a man taken by surprise, like a warrior, powerless to save? Powerless to save? You are among us, O Lord, and we bear your name. Do not forsake us. This is what the Lord says about this people. They greatly love to, love to wander. They do not restrain their feet. So the Lord does not accept them. He will now remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. And so in this chapter 14, after chapter after chapter after chapter of Jeremiah warning them, God allows this drought and destruction of the land. And so we go to chapter 15 where Jeremiah is grieved that his land has experienced such destruction. And he's crying out to God, why is this happening? And the Lord says, come to me and I will restore you and I will rescue you. We can look at at Jeremiah as an example of what we can do in times of drought, in times of destruction in our lives. It's okay to go to him and to cry out to him and say, why, God, why? Why is this happening to me? I don't understand. It's okay to cry out to him. Because he already knows what's in our hearts. He already knows that we're suffering and that we're hurting and we're grieved and we're struggling. No matter what we're going, what's going on in our lives, he already knows. We're going back to Jeremiah chapter 12. I told you I'm going to be bouncing around a little bit here just to kind of emphasize this message of hope. This message of crying out to God in times of need. Jeremiah chapter 12. So this is before this time of drought and destruction. Even in his obedience and faithfulness, he was complaining to God. Jeremiah 12, verse 3. You know me, O Lord. You see me and test my thoughts about you. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered because those who live in it are wicked? The animals and birds have perished. Moreover, the people are saying he will not see what happens to us. He knows our thoughts. And Jeremiah acknowledged that and asked the Lord to take his thoughts away because he was frustrated. He was saying 
that the wicked were prospering in this time. And he wanted justice. If you go up a little bit in um, the very beginning of chapter 12, I kind of skipped this part, but he says, why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all faithless live at ease? Do you ever look around you and you see people that are just living in sin and, and defiance and rebellion and their lives are just peachy keen? And you're trying to live a life of faithfulness for the Lord and you just experience so much suffering, even if not external suffering, it's the internal suffering. It's what's in our hearts. It's our daily battles every day. What is it that you struggle with? For me, I feel like on the outside, my life looks pretty nice. I have a comfortable home to live in and a comfortable car and a husband who has a nice job, and I get to stay home and, and parent my kids, and, and all that looks great. But you know what I struggle with? Being home with my kids every day, 12 to 14 hours a day that they're awake. They're small children. They're under nine. They have needs constantly. Mommy, 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 mommy. And there's only so much of that that I can handle before I, I, I lose my sanity. My struggles are internal. I feel that I'm suffering every single day, battling anger, battling bitterness, battling resentment, feeling frustrated in my spirit because all I want to do is live for God. And I'm not, I'm not exercising the gifts that he has given me in my children's lives because I'm so frustrated and tired from parenting. And I'm being honest here. I don't want to feel like that, but I do. And those are my internal struggles because I believe God has called me to do great and mighty things. And it is very strong, high responsibility to be the example for your kids. We don't want to screw our kids up. We want them to follow along in righteousness. And so I can put out all this good energy into the world and spur on my friends and encourage my friends And that fills me up. But my kids drain me. And so that's my everyday struggle. And for a long time, I held on to that. And I just tried to do it in my own strength. I tried to parent in my own strength. I tried to do the right thing in my own strength. And a few weeks ago, finally, I just, I lost it. And I said, God, I'm just, I'm so tired of this. I'm so tired of this. And he gave me a new spirit. He gave me a new vision. But I had to admit that I was struggling. I had to admit that I was angry and frustrated because he knows what's in our hearts. We can't hide it from him. Now I'm going to go back to Psalm 139, 1 through 4 again. He knows us. So we shouldn't try to hide those deep feelings from him. He knows what's in our hearts. And Jeremiah was considered one of the most successful people in life because of his obedience, because of his faithfulness. And he recognized his times of despair and he called out to the Lord. And he didn't keep trucking along in his own strength. He didn't keep pushing forward with the mindset of, I have to do this. I'm going to do this. That's it. Like, 
uh, he just kept going. He did keep going, but it wasn't in his own strength. He took a time out to cry to God that God may restore him. And God responded. It said, I will restore you. I will save you. I will rescue you. But if we don't call out to God, we're not giving him the opportunity to speak back to us. Psalm 139, 1 through 4. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. There's so much in this little passage here. So much. Number one, we know that the Lord has searched us and he knows us. Jeremiah says that. You know me, O Lord. You test my thoughts about you. It says, before a word is on my tongue, you know me completely, right? The, what did the Lord say to Jeremiah? I will give you the words. So not only does he know what we're going to say before we say it, he gives us the words to speak. God knows everything. He knows everything about us. God is an omniscient God. For those of you that don't know what that means, omni is translated as all. In the second part of that word, science, omniscient, which is translated as science or knowing, all knowing. Omniscient means all knowing. We see in this passage that God is an omniscient God. He's also omnipotent, omni, all, potent, powerful. He's all powerful. And he's also omnipresent, all present, everywhere, all the time. So God knows all, sees all, is all powerful, and and all present, everywhere, all the time. Sometimes we don't allow people to know who we really are because we're afraid that they'll discover something of us that they they won't like. But God knows everything about you. Everything. He sees all, he knows all, and he's there with you all the time. He even knows the number of hairs on our heads. As it says in Matthew 10.30. Despite our failures and sins and shortcomings, God still accepts us and loves us. He's with us through every situation and every trial. He protects us. He loves us and he guides us and he knows us and he loves us completely. He knows us from the beginning of time. Before we were even a thought in our parents' minds, He knew us. He had a plan for us and a purpose for us. Since we're still in Psalm 139, jump over to verse verse 4. I'm sorry, 139, verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. He created us. He knit us together. And we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, the interesting thing about this passage is it's very familiar to what Jeremiah says in the beginning of Jeremiah. Now, listen to this. Psalm 139, 13. I'm reading it again. I'm I'm repeating things because I think it's really important to know. And if you're taking notes, I want to make sure that you're hearing me and writing these things down. And if you're not writing it down, all the more reason for me to emphasize it. Psalm 139, 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my one, my mother's womb. If we flip back to Jeremiah chapter one, verse five, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Wow. So in Jeremiah chapter one, when he says that, that before in the womb, before God formed him in the womb, God knew him. That's what Jeremiah writes in Psalm 139. David, who's the psalmist, the writer of this psalm, he says, you created me, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So both of these great men of faith recognize that God created them and that even before they were thought in their parents' mind that God had a plan for them and he knew them intimately. Jeremiah knew that he can go to God with anything because God knows what's in the depths of our hearts. Even the things that we hide from society, we walk around with this farce that we're Christians, we're supposed to be good and noble and cheerful and all the other things that we feel like we need to do to be righteous people and we have all this darkness in our hearts and we're covering it up and we don't want to share it with the world in fear that they won't like what they see well god sees it so it's time we stop pretending that god doesn't know what's in our hearts and instead of holding it in and holding on to those thoughts or those feelings we need to turn back to him and we need to confess them and we need to bring them to him that we may be restored rescued saved protected since we're in the psalm and we know that david was a psalmist he is one of the main authors of this book there's several authors but david struggled with his feelings david sinned against God. David pursued another man's wife and then killed the man. David is no stranger to sin. But that didn't stop God from using him because David would turn back to God. Sometimes we look at people in this Bible in the Bible, and we say, wow, like, I wouldn't do that. I I just, I can't believe they did that. They murdered someone. Or they were a prostitute, like Rahab. 
Or the woman at the well, she was adulterous. Or look at those wicked thoughts they had. How could they do that? We pass judgment. And yet if we dared to write down our own thoughts while being unjustly attacked or while we were suffering cruelty, we might be shocked at our own desire for vengeance. We might be surprised at the anger that we really have deep down inside that we don't want to acknowledge, we don't want to admit or see or confess. If you wrote down the things that were in your heart, like these people did in scripture, like they wrote down their thoughts, you might start to recognize some similarities. We are challenged to pay back good for evil. So many of us experience evil and and have hardened hearts. Why God? Why me? Uh, uh, I'll show them. You might want to have anger or vengeance towards them, but we're challenged to continue to seek God and to clothe ourselves in righteousness and to pursue, pursue goodness and not evil. These psalms of anger and these psalms of vengeance are intense and graphic. And they are directed at God. But when these people put their feelings back into the hands of the Lord, they were renewed with confidence through God's faithfulness. In Psalm 59, David wrote a very angry outburst against Saul's pursuit. But we know that David never took personal revenge on Saul. But the people in the scriptures, the psalmists and Jeremiah, freely spoke their minds to God and had confidence that he would work everything out for their good. We need to pray with that same confidence. And we can trust God with our hearts. Even if you feel like you cannot trust the world or people in your world with your hearts. If you want to walk around with a facade, pretending that you're someone that deep down in your heart and your spirit, you know you're not. That's not what God has called us to do. But if that's what you're going to do, then at least bring the depths of your heart to God. I'm jumping back into Jeremiah, chapter 11, verse 20. Another example of Jeremiah acknowledging the omniscience of God, acknowledging that the Lord knows everything. Jeremiah, chapter 11, verse 20. But, O Lord Almighty, You who judge righteously and test the hearts and minds, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you I have committed my my cause. In this chapter, people of Jeremiah's hometown were out to kill him. They were plotting to kill him. They wanted to silence Jeremiah for several reasons. For economic reasons, because his condemnation of idol worship would hurt the business of the idol makers. 
for religious reasons because he was preaching a message of doom and gloom and it made the people feel guilty and depressed. Have you ever tried to proclaim the message of Jesus? Try to encourage somebody to turn away from their sin, to turn to Jesus? And they they just labeled you as a religious freak, a Jesus freak, a Bible thumper? Have you ever felt that? I know I have. As a new believer, I just went around hitting people over my over the head with the Bible because I was so powerfully transformed. I said, I need everybody to hear this and know this and experience this and feel this. I, I, I want to share this with the world. And I lost friends. I lost family. To this very day, there are people in my life that don't speak to me anymore because of my religious beliefs, my belief in Jesus. Jeremiah went through that. Political reasons that they wanted to silence Jeremiah because he openly rebuked their their hypocrisy in politics. (laughs) How relevant is that today? Do you have a political view that people don't understand? I'm pretty sure you do because we are so divided as a nation right now. And I feel like politics is one of the reasons for that. The people that he was commanding to turn back to the Lord, to turn from their hypocrisy in politics, they wanted to silence him. How true is that today for politics? They don't want to be called out for their errors. They take pride in their policies and in their politics. Even when we side with one side or the other versus the other, we feel offended when people don't agree with us, and they feel offended when we don't agree with them. And so Jeremiah had experienced political oppression too. And lastly, he suffered for personal reasons. They hated him for showing them that they were wrong. Jeremiah just tried to do the right thing. He tried to warn them and said, if you don't do the right thing, you will pay the price. And they didn't want to hear it. So he had two options in the scenarios. He could have run and and hid. He could have ran away and hide. Or he could call on God. What do you think he did? You might know the answer already. But he called on God. And did God answer? He sure did. And so when we face threats because of our faithfulness to God, or we feel discouraged in the world because people oppose us, our views, our beliefs, our personal preferences, we can call on God for help. Hiding compromises our message and calling on God lets him reinforce it. What are you hiding from? What parts of you are on display and what parts of you are hidden? I know a lot of people have heard of the iceberg scenario and um, it's something I've been thinking and talking about a lot lately. How we're all like icebergs and 10% of us 
is floating on the surface. 10% of us is what the world sees. But the other 90% is underwater, hidden in the depths. Most of us don't even know what lies beneath the surface because we've gotten so complacent in our faith that we have accepted this person we try to be. We have on this farce of, I'm a Christian and I have to be happy and joyful and I can't show the world that, that, I'm, that I'm a mess. Put your mess out there because God will use it for good. And when you're struggling to recognize the ugliness in, in your heart and in your life, call out to God and ask him to reveal it to you. Ask him to bring it to the surface that he may deal with it and that you can be glor- he can be glorified through that. I don't want to be a person walking around with a farce, with this pretentious attitude of, I'm a Christian, so I have to be good. No, we're not good. The Bible tells us that. No one is good, not even one. And if we are good, it's by the righteousness of God. It's by his grace that we are good. Any good comes from him. I'm going to flip to Psalm 7-9. I'm starting to wrap it up a little bit here. Now, just as I kind of did with Samson, I'm doing the same with Jeremiah where I'm just pointing out the overall theme of him struggling and calling out to God. I'm not here to to give you a history on the book or his backstory or any of that. We're just looking to him as an example of somebody who cried out to God and recognized that God knows everything there is to know about him and that he couldn't hide from the truth. But God delivered him. Psalm 7, 9 is where I'm going now. This is emphasizing what I've been saying. David is writing here. O righteous God, who searches minds and hearts, bring an end to the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. Once again, God searches our minds and hearts. Nothing is hidden from him. Nothing. So you can either be terrified of this truth or comforted. But our thoughts are an open book to him. Even the deepest, darkest, most horrifying thoughts that we don't even want to admit, he knows them. And because he knows even our motives, we have no place to hide. No way to pretend that we can get away with the sin that's in our lives or in our hearts. This shouldn't scare you, but it should bring you comfort. Because we don't have to impress God or put up a false front. Even if you walk around with one, we don't have to do that with God. We can trust God to help us through our weaknesses in order to serve him as he planned. And when we truly follow follow God, he rewards our efforts. Now, I just think about Christianity in general and how so many people just walk around 
like everything's peachy keen, you know, and then they go home and, and they're just vulnerable with their families or maybe they have a couple safe people, but to the rest of the world, it's like they have it all together. And none of us, none of us have it together. Really, who of us really has it together? I mean, I make jokes all the time that I'm riding the hot mess express and my closest friends are riding the train with me because they're real, they're authentic, and I crave authenticity. I crave truth. I want God to bring to the surface the depths and darkness of my heart that they may be exposed and dealt with, that he may restore me to righteousness and faithfulness and obedience so he can use me to further the kingdom, to further the work of the Lord. I do not want to live in complacency. I don't want to walk around with a farce or a cover that I'm this person that I'm not. I have no desire to to pretend to be anything I'm not. I lived with insecurities for so, so long trying to please people to fit in. I'm tired of it. Aren't you tired of walking around pretending that you're okay when you're struggling and suffering inside? Bring it to the Lord. And then he'll use you in a mighty way. And he might expose that and people might see who you really are, but they will be inspired by that. Or maybe they'll be offended. But God will use it. When we truly follow God, he rewards our efforts. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. Because he that comes to God must know that he is God and he rewards those who diligently seek him. That's in Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Are you struggling in your faith? Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing the word of God. If you're struggling in your faith, Ask yourself, when was the last time I read my Bible? When was the last time I studied the scriptures? When was the last time I did a Bible study or went to church or listened to the word? When was the last time I listened to a sermon online or a podcast or something that encourages me? Music with scripture. The, the, the Bible tells us to speak in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The scripture should be on our hearts. The Bible tells us to wear it on our hearts, bind them to the doorposts of our house. Scripture should be everywhere. We should be speaking in scriptures to each other, singing in scriptures. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. So if you're struggling in your faith, Let the word wash over you. It is by grace we are saved through faith. It is a gift of God that no one can boast. None of us can say that we've arrived. 
None of us can say that it's by our own works that we're saved or have faith. Faith is a gift. But we can also increase our faith by going to the word and hearing the word of God and letting it wash over our lives. Saved by grace through faith. Jesus went to the cross to pay the price for our sins. When somebody does something wrong, there is a consequence. If somebody murders another person, the price for their sin, their price for their wrongdoing is jail or in some cases, death. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. But we can have eternal life by placing our faith in Jesus, who went to the cross to die for our sins, for everyone in the world, past, present, and future. Through grace, we are saved through faith. By grace, we are saved through faith in Jesus. What sin in your life do you need to confess to God today? What is holding you back to having a fellowship with him in a relationship with him? What is holding you back? Are you walking around pretending that everything is okay? Are you walking around like everything is okay? Or have you laid it all before the Lord? This is your opportunity to come clean. Examine yourself. See if you're real in the faith. And if you haven't come to the Lord, you can just pray right now. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Ask him to bring to the surface the darkness that is in the depths of your heart. You don't have to do anything to get right. You just need to bring it to God and he will restore you. Jesus already paid the price for our sins. Bring them to him today to experience the forgiveness of God. And now I'll pray for you. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to share this message of truth and life with my my dear friends, Lord. I pray that you would bring them to you, that they would have a right relationship with you. Please forgive my screaming children in the background, but this is real life. And real life is messy and not put together. And you know that about us, God. You know that we don't have it together, that we need you to help us live the life that you have called us to life. You tell us to bring our burdens to you, that we can bring our anger and bitterness and hurt and pain, anything to you, God. Forgive me, forgive me of my wrongdoings, my errors my sin restore us to our right relationship with you and reveal to us the plan that you would have for us thank you for this time in Jesus name I pray
Amen.